All right, let's go into your next patient. 59-year-old woman who, interestingly, was from South Philadelphia. So she and Dr. Fox had some great historical things to share as well as accents. But she presented at the age of 55 in February of 2005. She had an abnormal screening right breast mammogram. A biopsy showed invasive ductal carcinoma, grade 2. She had a sentinel node biopsy, which was positive. A total of two nodes were positive for metastatic disease. She was triple positive. We spoke today that she was just before her septin was approved for adjuvant therapy. She received four cycles of ACT chemotherapy, followed by tamoxifen, and in December of 2007, developed back pain and saw her primary doctors, and she had extensive bony metastasis to the spine. So she had some radiation therapy to the back. We, at that time, started her on Zometa, Herceptin, and Navalbean. Did very well on that. All of her tumor markers normalized, and she now is on monotherapy with Herceptin and still using Zometa on a less frequent schedule. What's happened, interestingly, in the last year is progressive thrombocytopenia. We've looked at all of her medications. She stopped several of her. She was only on two medications before, butoprion and Zoloft. Those well predated this. And we've done an extensive workup for ITP, for low-grade DCIS, all of which really are negative. She had a brief trial of steroids, made no effect. And she stayed stable about 55,000. No bleeding. She remains in remission on her septum. And so we presented that as one of the issues today. So has she had hormonal therapy since she's developed metastatic disease? She is on an aromatase inhibitor. That's correct. Which one? Aromacin. And was that started right from the beginning? Right after she relapsed. Kevin, first, any thoughts about the thrombocytopenia? Well, they systematically eliminated, I think, all the potential offenders here. So the question obviously comes up as to whether any of the anti-cancer agents that she's receiving could be responsible. And based on Dr. Polkinghorne's research and based on my own experience with Herceptin as a producer of thrombocytopenia, you know, anything is a suspect. Then there's the issue of whether zoledronate has ever been guilty of doing this. And in theory, again, anything could be. But again, zoledronate is not known for producing this particular hematologic toxicity. And insofar as none of the other cell lines were affected, we could not come up with any therapeutic intervention that she's received as cause, therefore couldn't justify the discontinuation of any of them because globally the patient has done remarkably well. She's well, her markers are falling, she's responded to therapy, she continues to respond, and the thrombocytopenia has been of no consequence. Therefore, there was no compelling need to alter her current treatment strategy except to follow her expectantly. Rick, anything you want to say about her in terms of how she personally has been dealing with this and also what her support system is? Yeah, she has a very supportive husband. She does have a problem with one of her children, her daughter, that she's estranged from. And we've chatted about this personally, that it's been hard for her. But she talked about it today. And as I found in my practice, at least, you know, she feels well, her pain is gone. And she said today, I don't feel sick. And, you know, when she feels that way. She said, hey, it's kind of like having a cold. I've got a problem. I go in, I get this treatment. And 
I'm done. She was a little unnerved by the platelet count. I know when we worked this up, she was a little nervous about what was going on, but I think she feels pretty comfortable and it was very helpful today to have someone from a university center say, you know, I think that's very reasonable to keep going. And we talked about bone marrow and I think we all felt it probably would not be helpful. Kevin, what about the issue of management of initial cancer relapse in a patient with triple positive disease? Not too long ago, these patients, if they weren't too sick, maybe would have gotten just hormonal therapy. Now we've had studies, the tandem study, looking at trastuzumab and an AI, and then more recently at the San Antonio meeting and also at ASCO, there were reports on lapatinib plus an AI, letrozole. Can you talk about what that work showed and how that's affected the way you've approached these patients? Well, I think both studies, both the anastrozole plus trastuzumab and the letrozole plus lapatinib studies, which in each case randomized patients to receive hormonal therapy alone versus hormonal therapy plus a targeted therapy, each showed that the natural history of their breast cancer could be altered more favorably by producing a longer progression-free survival by combining a hormonal therapy with a targeted therapy. And up to this point, there was really no precedent for this. So we have two pieces of clinical research of reasonable size which prove a point. What I think it means to me is that, particularly in a case like this where the patient was extremely symptomatic when she relapsed, that... Uh, hormonal therapy alone in someone who is known to be HER2 positive may not be in their best interest anymore. One could argue that if the patient was asymptomatic, there is no downside to giving them hormonal therapy alone. I have no issue with that. But the fact of the matter is hormonal therapy plus a targeted therapy on each of those occasions produced a positive endpoint with respect to response rate and progression-free survival. So it would seem to me to be easy enough in someone like this not necessarily in this patient, but in someone who is symptomatic and worthy of more than just hormonal therapy alone, that combining hormonal therapy and targeted therapy, I think, is appropriate and acceptable and doesn't appear to have any toxicity signals, which would suggest it be unwise. This particular patient also received navalbine. She was apparently fairly symptomatic and in need of something which perhaps was going to bring about a response more briskly than hormonal therapy plus a targeted therapy. What about the issue of selection of anti-HER2 agent in a patient who's never had anti-HER2 therapy for first-line metastatic disease? You know, people in general have done what Rick did in this case, which is if they haven't had any therapy, use trastuzumab. But do we really know one way or the other which one might be better? And what about tissue predictors that might help guide the choice of anti-HER2 therapy? I think the way things stand now, if we could just get right down to standards of care, we have plenty of information regarding the worth of Herceptin or Trastuzumab, both without chemotherapy and with chemotherapy, illustrating very clearly its worth. We have remarkably less information regarding the use of lapatinib in a treatment-naive patient. And for that reason, I think that the weight of evidence suggests that the appropriate first intervention still remains Trastuzumab, whether one gives it with or without chemotherapy is really based on the patient's circumstances. In terms of markers that would predict the worth of one over the other, I'm really not convinced that at this moment we have any way of determining who will likely respond to trastuzumab versus who will likely respond to lapatinib such that we can apply it in clinical practice. I think that the reflex decision to give trastuzumab as the preferential first-line therapy is still the correct decision. 
Rick, how have you been approaching the decision in patients who have had prior adjuvant trastuzumab? A lot of people will kind of look at how long it's been since they've had the trastuzumab. How many patients actually roughly have you had who had adjuvant trastuzumab and developed relapse, and how did you deal with that? Well, I think I've often, if it's been within, say, six months, often gone to using lopatinib and capecitabine as my first choice. On the other hand, since the adjuvant, trastuzumab, and as I mentioned, this patient was before that was approved, you know, we've had a lot less patients relapsing. So those that do, and if it's been over a year, I tend to go back to trastuzumab generally with chemotherapy. So, Kevin, it's been about a year now since Joyce O'Shaughnessy presented some interesting data at ASCO-08, looking at actually both of these agents utilized together. At this point, you know, again, a year later, how do you see those data? And are there situations where you're using this, particularly without chemotherapy? The data was compelling in the sense that the study to which you were referring looked at a very heavily pretreated group of patients who had gotten multiple lines of previous therapy and multiple lines of previous trastuzumab containing chemotherapy. And at progression, they were assigned at random to receive either lapatinib alone or lapatinib plus trastuzumab. And although in both groups of patients, the rate of response was fairly low and the progression-free survival was fairly brief, there was, I think, convincing evidence that the combination of the two things was better than lapatinib alone. It was an excellent view of the worth of lapatinib monotherapy, but on the other hand, it was an excellent view of the ability to combine two targeted therapies under circumstances where you wouldn't expect any success. So I think that there are circumstances under which it is perfectly appropriate to utilize that combination, especially in a heavily pretreated patient. I guess at this point, I would not be so strongly inclined to use two targeted therapies together early on in treatment because we have lots of other choices most of which involve chemotherapy. But if the patient had a series of contraindications to cytotoxic chemotherapy for any reason, a lapatinib-trastuzumab combination would be an acceptable choice for those people. I don't think it should be considered a standard of care in the early treatment of a newly relapsed patient. Kevin, any impressions you had meeting this woman? Well, you know, since she was a Philadelphia native, I was unusually drawn to her way of being. But you know, it was a recurring theme today. These patients, some of them have remarkable, extended, complex histories, some of which defy description. And like all of the rest, this woman seemed to have an extraordinarily well thought out approach to her circumstances. She displayed no elements of resentment or self-pity. She was always looking forward rather than back. Perhaps a little bit concerned over this issue of thrombocytopenia, But I think the fact that Dr. Polkinghorne and I both agreed that a bone marrow biopsy would not likely produce much useful information at this point gave her great relief. And I think she got out of this today, the fact that she, I think for the moment, can be spared a slightly uncomfortable diagnostic intervention. But to me, the sense I got was that at least it was reassuring to me that someone from Philadelphia could be just as tough (laughs) as someone from Portland.